what I think is, including my part, a bit shallow of an understanding of sort of spiritual warfare to understand a more fuller presentation of what the Bible actually says, but not based on do I like this or not, but what the actual people who wrote the Bible and those who were the recipients of the original writings of Scripture, what did they actually believe about these things? So that's the purpose of this series. So there may be things that you might say, I don't know if I like or agree with that. But that's not the, the standard measurement of truth is not us. It's trying to present what did they understand God to be saying as it relates to spiritual warfare, supernatural realities. So in trying to present that, this particular sermon, and my mouth is big so I can do it. Okay, there we go. I keep the party going. I hit y'all with one of them. The devil better not try to. Oh, man. Depending on what church you were, somebody would have said that, too. Well, they cast the demons out of the sound, man. Like, no, they, they love the Lord. They're good people, man. They... All right, so there are, there are where this particular sermon places. This will feel a little bit different. This is going to be very informational. It won't really feel like walking through a passage that's not its intent today, that, that will start on the 30th when we get to Genesis 1 and begin the official, so let's walk through and find out, okay, here's what's happening, here's what may be happening that we don't know about, all right? Today will be a bit informational, it'll just be a bunch of some observations. Let me tell you the difference between an observation and then an explanation. An observation is just, we're just going to observe, well, okay, this is what it says, this is an observation. We're going to look at this, this is what it says. I'm not going to explain what everything means right now because when we get to the supernatural storyline part, there's things that I want to make sense in the flow of the story. And if I pull things out of context, then I'm afraid that you'll be left to determine what you think about it without saying, how does this really fit in the storyline? It would be like trying to watch a movie in the middle of it and determine if it's a good movie. Well, you didn't see the beginning and you didn't see the ending. You saw seven minutes in the middle, and now you're determining whether people should see this movie. All right, there are four dilemmas that make it difficult to understand, particularly when it comes to the evil supernatural beings in the Bible. And I'm going to use these, I'm going to explain these dilemmas by way of quotation of what I would consider credible theologians. Here's the first dilemma of understanding the role of sort of demons and, and, and less about angels today, more about the sort of the cosmic powers of darkness. Here's the first dilemma. It's a quote, Christians embrace a number of unbiblical ideas about the powers of darkness. Thank you, brother. The reasons are twofold and are related. First, most of what we know about the powers of darkness do not derive from close study of the original Hebrew and Greek texts. Second, much of what we think we know is filtered through and guided by church tradition, not the original ancient context of the Old and New Testaments. I would only add that we're also guided by Hollywood. We watch scary movies and we like them and we think, man, these things have like a, these things have a lot of power. You don't ever see somebody walking and be like, in the name of Jesus, bye. You don't see that. What you see is like, man, they, they come in, the priest can't do nothing, he's scared. It's like, well, <laughs> what in the world did you call him for? 
you rarely see black people in their movies because we either ain't playing with it or we gonna be gangster with it. Like, hey man, say, say that again. They don't care what hood you from. So we see these church traditions. We looked at one last week, right? The third of the angels were rebelled with Satan. That's not really what the Bible's teaching in that passage. Second dilemma. There are roughly 200 references to darkness in Scripture, nearly all of which are used as a contrast to the God of the source of love and life. It's no surprise then that death, the threat of death, and the realm of death itself are linked to supernatural entities expelled from God's presence and service. Okay, there are 200 references. They're not talking about repeated things like demons 10, 20 times. They're talking about 200 individual references to the powers of darkness. And demons is only used a few times. There's only three times the word demons is used in our English translation of the Old Testament. In the book, Dictionaries of Deities and Demons in the Bible, if you go on Amazon right now, that book is selling for hard copy $980. I bought the digital version. That book has 960 pages. They charging you a page, a dollar page. Some good math over here. We're going to discuss this a little bit more next, in next week's message, but this is roughly part of the dilemma. There's tons of references to darkness in Scripture, but we lump everything into the term demons. Everything is just demons. But there are 200 references, and demons is only one. Third dilemma. Third dilemma. No general term for the word demons exists in any of the major cultures of the ancient Near East or in the Hebrew Bible. They are generally considered one of the categories of spirit beings, along with gods and ghosts. The term demons has, a, has had a checkered history. In today's theological usage, the term denotes beings, often fallen angels, who are intrinsically evil and who do the bidding of their master, Satan. This definition, however, only became commonplace long after the Hebrew Bible was complete. So in other words, the original recipients of the letters, particularly the Old Testament, didn't have the category of demons the way we use it now. It's a one-size-fits-all term for us. Angels, demons, God, Satan. And if that's the way we think about what's happening in the world, we will misunderstand even what's affecting us. The term demons is often described as fallen angels for Satan. But the Bible does not call fallen angels demons. Case in point, Matthew 25, 41. Here's Jesus communicating to his disciples and those who are listening. He said, then he will say to those on his left, this is the end times he's talking about, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
doesn't say the devil and his demons. In Revelation 9, this is, a, this is a narrative where the vision that John is seeing is one of these creatures that look like scorpions and have weird hair and they're able to attack human beings on earth. And this is what he's saying, beginning in verse 7 of Revelation 9. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the nose of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is Abaddon. And in Greek he is called Apollyon. That means destroyer. It is not a demon, but it's an angel. Angels that rebel against God are still called angels by God. Demons are something else entirely. Here's the fourth dilemma. And this is pivoting off of what we heard in the first dilemma about church tradition. Here's the fourth dilemma, tradition. So if you come from a more charismatic background, there's a tendency to think, have a oppressive demonology. Everything is the devil. He's all over the place. Phone's not working. You're worried. It's like, man, your Wi-Fi router's not plugged in. <laughs> Everything. It's an oppressive demonology. It gives them an authority they shouldn't have. As if they're everywhere doing everything, and it takes a level of responsibility away from you, from us individually. It's an over-realized spiritual warfare. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot more going on than we give it credit for. But I can tell you this. The devil, and I can't prove this, but I firmly believe this. The devil has never wasted time on any one of us. We're just not that significant. The devil is not walking around like, hey, trip it, man. Hey, get, get this one. Now, we're in a world influenced by it, and there's definitely demonic presence, and, and we'll get into that. But sometimes the way you act and what you do is you. Sometimes you just arrogant, bitter, selfish, judgmental, unforgiving. Sometimes you profess to believe, and you don't do it, and you don't really believe. And sometimes it is the enemy making it easier for you to do that. So if you're kind of charismatic, you get into all this stuff, and it's like, whoa, hold on. There's a reason why in the New Testament letters, there's an absence of certain things like casting demons out of other believers, laying hands on people too for, the, for a particular purpose. I'm not saying God can't work that way, but the Bible isn't describing it that way. But then on the other side of church tradition would be something that's more reformed, where it's more about theology and accurate understanding of things. And for those people, nothing is the devil. He's been defeated. It's proper theology and proper obedience. And anything you're experiencing is just you. It's a dismissive demonology. It's like if you just believe truth and you know right truth and you go to the right seminary, then you're good. 
Absolutely not. The Pharisees knew more about the Old Testament than any of us in this room ever will. James said, you believe that there is one God? Good. The demons believe too and are afraid. The devil used Psalm 91, 11 and 12 to tempt Jesus. You think he hasn't read the Bible through and through? I can tell you the devil's not reading National Enquirer, GQ. He's not watching TMZ. He's paying attention to what God is doing. So in that theological realm, there's an underrealized spiritual warfare. So where in the charismatic side, it's capital S, right? Everything is the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. And on the other side, it's lowercase s. It's just you, it's just you. It's like, no, there's... The goal was to be somewhere in between. How do we have a healthy balance of these things? It could be difficult to have a healthy balance of the supernatural realm for all of these reasons and many more that I listed. How do you have a healthy balance? So, okay, we're not giving this too much power, but we're also not pretending like it has no power at all. There's a difference. Angels that rebel against God are still called angels. Demons are something else entirely different. And we're not going to talk about what demons actually are until we get in the storyline of the Bible, but we will talk about a category that Jesus, that's in the Bible a ton, that we just automatically assume are demons, but we'll see in just a moment that they're listed as something separate. The category is evil spirits. So let's talk about what evil spirits are. Let me give you a, a great definition by, a, by a, a credible theologian, and then we'll walk through each of these in just a second. He says, evil spirits are referred to in both the Old and New Testaments and are often called by other names such as unclean spirits, impure spirits, deceiving spirits, lying spirits, demonic spirits, and demons. In all cases, evil spirits are malevolent supernatural beings. Evil spirits work against God, but the Bible also informs us that God and his sovereignty can choose to use evil spirits to carry out his plan and purposes, demonstrating that he is the ruler of the universe. I would remix that and say that he's outside, that he's the alpha and omega. Let's talk about some of these evil spirits, right? These are evil spirits. Unclean spirits, unclean spirits. Mark 1, 21 to 23. This term is used 20 times in the Bible, unclean spirits. He says this, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is an important visual illustration. You have an unclean spirit that we would typically classify as demonic. This is an evil spirit in the congregation, in the midst where Jesus is teaching, in a synagogue. Now, for us, we think of these things like from Hollywood, that it's going to jump on the wall and then walk upside down and walk like a spider with its head upside down. And then, but this unclean spirit submits to Jesus. It says, what have you to do with us? Plural, us. Jesus of Nazareth, 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. It's telling them who Jesus is, an unclean spirit. Jesus cast a demon out. That's important, but not for right now. Lying spirits. Lying spirits. Mike showed you that two weeks ago, where when they were trying to, you get a picture of divine counsel, a spirit comes up and says, who's going to stop King Ahab? I'll do it. How? I'm going to send a lying spirit to all of his prophets so that they tell him the wrong thing. God says, do it. You'll have success. And it says, and the Lord sent a lying spirit. Those exist. You have in Mark 9, deaf and dumb spirits. If you notice, these spirits are all described by their responsibility. So lying, deaf and dumb. You have a spirit of infirmity, different spirits. Remember this scene in Luke 13, verses 10 and 11. As he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Like in the natural world, if you, I mean, think about this scene for a second. This is the synagogue. This is where the people of God gather. It's basically the church. It's like a church. And Jesus is teaching. And these spirits, just evil spirits, just come into where he is. They just come into where he is. This place is not safe because it's a church. They could be sitting right here with us. Jesus is right there, and they just in the church with him, standing up, interrupting him. So you know how I'm going to act if you think you got a word from the Lord and you stand up in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan! They'll stand up right in the middle and interrupt Jesus. Evil spirits. This lady is bent over. Most of us would have just been like, dang, man, I wonder what. Need some surgery. Maybe she's lazy. Jesus heals this woman. Calls her a daughter of Abraham. But has been bent over. You have spirits of oppression. Plenty of passages will say, and the spirit oppressed this person. We always think everything is about being possessed. Entering in a person. Oppression is doing things to irritate or bother that person. You have deceitful spirits. 1 Timothy 4. Listen to what Paul's saying at the end of his letter to Timothy. He's saying, now the spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit expressly says, so that he's making this clear, the spirit is clearly expressly communicating this. It's almost like Paul is saying, the Spirit is loud saying this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later time, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. It separates the two. Deceitful spirits and demons. It's not considering those the same thing. Spirits, evil spirits, here, demons, here. 
what many of us think are demons are really spirits, evil spirits. Now, on one level, you can call them demons. We nickname them that, right? But biblically speaking, that is not how they understood what demons were. Demons are something else entirely. And they're really at the bottom of the spiritual totem pole. They're at the bottom. Lastly, spirits of divination. The English translation of this passage in Leviticus 20 makes it seem like that the, the, the emphasis here is talking about a person who interacts with them, but the actual Hebrew is referring to the spirit itself. But it says in Leviticus 20, 27, a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist must be put to death. They are to be stoned. Their death is their own fault. Leviticus 20, verse 6, you don't have this. It says, whoever turns to mediums or spiritists, the Hebrew of that is whoever turns to knowing spirits. That's what it should be called, spirits that know things. Whoever turns to knowing spirits prostitutes himself with them. I will turn against that person and cut him off from his people. In the New Testament, we have this scene, which Mike talked about a couple weeks ago. This is Acts 16, 16 through 18. This is a crazy scene if you really look at what's happening. So here Luke is describing their walking through this town. He says, this, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Okay, be clear what this is saying. They brought the owner much gain by being able to accurately predict the future. So there are as a degree of intelligence and knowledge that evil spirits have about things that are coming. So it's not like they don't know the future, and so anything that predicts the future is definitely of God. No, it is not. And then verse 17, she followed Paul and Cyrus, crying out. Listen to this. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Listen to what she's saying. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. 18, and she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I love that he's just annoyed, right? <laughs> like, I love it. It's like Paul knows that this is an evil spirit, right? And they, this spirit, this girl is walking around with them. It said she did this for many days. Sidebar, notice how the evil spirits have to follow around what God is doing. She's following them and proclaiming this stuff. So Paul gets annoyed and he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Many of us, I believe, if we were in the presence of that, we would have thought, wow, she's on fire for the Lord. She is saying they're here to proclaim the way of salvation. We would have encouraged it, might have walked up to her afterwards and thanked her for her boldness. And the whole time, this is an unclean, evil spirit in this girl. We have to be careful. She wasn't lying. In one sense, you could think she was preparing people. 
These men have come to teach you about the way of salvation. Think about this. This is a woman, this girl is known and making money for being right. So on one level, it could have been like, hey, she's making it easy for us to share the gospel. But Paul was annoyed because he knew it was an evil spirit that was trying to deter what they were doing. And so he said, come out of her. I guarantee many people have thought, man, that is from the Lord. And it is not. There's a difference between prophecy and divination. There's a difference. We have two passages in the New, in the New Testament that, that make us, that want us to notice. First John 4, 1. He says this, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John is saying, hey, listen, be careful. Be on your game. Test the spirits. Don't believe everything everybody's saying. But that's actually something different. Many people use that as a, that's, that's actually different. That's actually easier to do than most. Because it later says, if this person, the spirits are not proclaiming the way to Christ, and you know it's an antichrist, it's a demonic spirit. That's pretty easy. So anyone that talks about Jesus isn't the only way, I know who you are. Thanks for letting me know. If you ever want to know if something is real, okay, what do you guys think? What do you think about Jesus? Hey, we're here to tell you about this. Okay, what do you think about Jesus? Who is he? And all that. And depending on what you say, you'll get my minutes. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, 21 says something different. It has a different emphasis. It says this, do not despise prophecies. Don't despise them. But test everything. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. So don't despise prophecies. Test them. Test them. It doesn't just say believe them. It says test them. Test them. This is necessary. You know why? Because evil spirits use prophecy too. And they don't say, hey, I got a word from Satan. <laughs> They're not walking up like, hey, my man, hey, I feel like, I feel like, the, I feel like the enemy is trying to tell me something. The devil wants you to know. I'm saying that. These people are proclaiming the way to salvation. It's almost like saying, listen to what they're saying. Come out of her. Because you have a different intention for saying that. You lead these people astray. Let me tell you what I think would have happened if, they, if Paul hadn't done that and she would have kept doing that when they left that area and because people would have gotten saved by the gospel, they would have been deceived into thinking that whatever she says is also connected to what they were saying, which is also honoring to the Lord and would have kept making money off of people by using demonic supernatural powers. So Paul was like, nah, fam, get out of there because you're not going to disrupt what we're doing. We got to test prophecies, test the spirits. I don't believe nothing unless I test it. Because it's crazy. The enemy is real. Last week, we ended looking at Michael as one of the chief princes. And Daniel 10. Let's go back to that scene real quick, because that that scene prepares us for two things we need to understand today. Two of the most important things about supernatural realities and what we would call spiritual warfare. We need to understand these two things in terms of how the Bible expresses this, not our experience, but the Bible. So here's what we looked at last week to make a different point that we're going to make today. 
And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoke this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. He's saying, your words have been heard by God. I'm coming to answer your prayer. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So here's what this angel was telling Daniel. Listen, your prayer was heard. You're loved by God. I was coming to answer your prayer. And I was withheld by a strong, a strong spiritual being that opposes God. And I couldn't get past it. So after 21 days, Michael came. And now I can tell you what happened because Michael. This is what it really means to be like Mike. For those of you old enough to know that reference. Two observations from this passage. Michael's a chief prince, one of the chief princes. Okay? That's hierarchy. Chief prince, one of the chief princes. That's hierarchy. Right? Then you had a prince of Persia. Hierarchy. So you got hierarchy, chief prince representing God, chief prince representing the devil. Hierarchy. These are not just demons. These are much more powerful than demons. A demon could not have done that for 21 days. He can't get through. Hierarchy. The emphasis there, chief prince. Second observation. Location of Persia. The prince of Persia. This is a strong, supernatural, evil being that has jurisdiction over Persia. So there's a location involved. So supernatural beings with authority over a particular location. This, what we're going to look at in just a moment, is perfect for where we're headed today and extremely important to understand what's happening in the world. Biblically speaking, spiritual warfare consists of both evil kind of cosmic powers and specific territories. I briefly mentioned this in the first sermon, the Alpha and Omega, where we went to where Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. That wasn't a random location, but Jesus went to a place that was literally called and known by the Jews as the Canaanite gateway to hell, where they believed demons and spirits came out of that gateway. Jesus said that in one of the highest concentrations of evil and said, right here is where I'm building my church, on this rock in front of this gates of hell, and it will not prevail. Then he goes to the transfiguration, Mount Hermon. We're going to see this in a few weeks. With that mountain is where Azazel and the other angels rebelled against God. And Jesus goes there and says, let me light up. Let me light up. And then he comes back down and the disciples can't cast a demon out of a boy because that demon was powerful. That spirit was powerful. Jesus could do it, but they couldn't. We have to understand the cosmological 
so the cosmic beings, the hierarchy, but then the geographical, the areas in which they have domain. There's a reason why God said, look, I'm going to give you this land and that this land is important. The geographical element to spiritual warfare is significant. Let's look at this a little closer. Let's go. Let's look at two scenes. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 12. We'll make four observations. Matthew 12, 43 through 45. Here's what Jesus said. Listen, listen to how he's describing this. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. That's interesting. Return to my house. That's somebody's body. And when it comes, listen to this, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. I mean, it's a lot I want to say right now, but I don't want to hurt nobody. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first, so it will be with this evil generation. Briefly, what Jesus is saying is good. You guys can try to clean yourself up and think you're going to be better people, and that's not going to stop the evil from coming in you. Your house is swept clean and put in order, but no spirit is sitting in there. So you can't have a house swept clean and put in order. You got to have the spirit living in there. So when the demon comes back and was like, oh, never mind, wrong house. <laughs> but you clean yourself up. I'm a, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I've, I've never done it. Okay. So here's four observations. The particular kind of spirit, unclean. Okay, we talked about that already. Geographical location. It passes through waterless places seeking rest. Now, the Jews in that day understood and believed the desert to be the place where darkness and evil reigned supreme. That was one of them. So the desert represented to the, to the Jews where demonic influence, evil presence is high, right? So this spirit is going to waterless places, going to desert places. Let's jump ahead real quick. Why do you think that Jesus, after being baptized, was led into the wilderness, into the desert, and that's where he was tempted by Satan? Because in their mind, that's where the evil is. So here this being is going to geographical locations trying to find someone else to get in, and he can't find them. Fourth, third observation. It says, it says he gets seven spirits more evil than itself. So there's not only a hierarchy in position and authority, which we'll look at in a minute. There's a hierarchy in evil. It said seven spirits more evil than itself. That's crazy. So there's some demons, some spirits that are like, man, that was wild. Even the other spirits know like, hey, he be wilding. He's crazy. <laughs> are you going with him? Nah, I ain't going with him. He be throwing people in front of cars and stuff. Like, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to rest somewhere, get on somebody's nerves. There is, I mean, more evil than itself. There's a hierarchy of evil morality, immorality. 
Fourth observation, they work in community. Let's all go live in this one place, all eight of us, me and you seven. This reminds me of, I'm, I can be fascinated by like alligators and crocodiles when I'm watching them on TV. And I'm making that distinction because you will never see me near any location where they are. I cannot prove this, but I strongly declare this. When I die, it will not be because I was eaten by an alligator or crocodile. <laughs> because I already know that I will not be in any location where they are. I'm not that curious. But these alligators will eat other alligators. I was watching a video like two weeks ago. This big alligator, which is in front of everybody, which just crushed this little alligator. And I was like, wow. Ate him and then went down and swam like, yeah, which, what? I'm like, what? I was like, wow, that's exactly how there's, there's just other evil beings that are more evil than other beings. All right, let's look at this reality in action, Mark 5. So Jesus is just explaining something. Mark 5, listen to this scene. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes, all right? This is a very Gentile area. So Jews are not in the Gerasenes. This is mostly Gentiles. And according to the Jews, the, the, where the Gentiles are are where most of the demons are. There's more spirits and stuff like that. So Jesus goes in. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. So at some point, people used to put chains around him and, and tie him up. But not anymore. For he had been often bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. That's a crazy scene. Now, somewhere out there, there's some pastor using this verse to tell you that Marvel is really demonic because the superpowers of these superheroes come from demons. I am here to tell you that's not true. Wakanda forever. All right. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, okay, he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. All that power. And he's in a submissive position in front of Jesus. And crying out with a, crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Notice how they always proclaim the truth of who he is when they're in front of him. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For, for he was saying, come out of him, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pig, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The sea is a significant reference point that we are not going to talk about today. But there is a reason why Revelation 22 says, and the sea was no more. God is not against water, 
But the C represents something else entirely. Come back to that in about three to four months. Get behind me, Satan. It's a lot of complaining that I'm here. Two observations from this passage, two quick observations. There were many unclean spirits inside of this man. That 2,000 pigs all went in the same direction and drowned. That I don't understand the logic. Please don't cast us out of here. Go into the pigs and then you drown them. Poor Wilbur in there. They just was, just, was eating. <laughs> Some of you animal lovers, I know. No animals were harmed in the making of this sermon. Many unclean spirits are inside this man, enough that 2,000 pigs ran that way. So that says two things. One, wow, a lot of evil spirits can go inside of a person. But two, people are so significant that it takes many evil spirits to come inside of us to have an impact. Second observation. They said this, and he begged them earnestly not to send us out of the country. Why would they ask him not to send them out of the country? Hmm. Why is that significant? They're begging Jesus. It makes sense to me. Please don't destroy us. I get that. But why are they begging Jesus not to send them out of the country? This is an important reality. They knew and Jesus knew that evil spirits have been given a geographical authority. And they didn't want to get sent out of the country because that's where their geographical, their spiritual authority was. Spirits are not just roaming all over the place. Only the, the Satan in Job is like just roaming the earth. There are geographical locations that these demons have jurisdiction. So they were begging Jesus, don't destroy us, but don't send us away from where we are. They said the country. This was a Gentile region. Jesus had the authority to say, you can't do anything here. You have no more power here. Leave. They did not want to leave because they understand there is a cosmological, spiritual evil beings and a geographical element to all of this. So they beg them, don't send us out of the country. Paul, in the most well-known passage on spiritual warfare, brings both cosmological and geographical ideas together. In Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, this is the sort of the, the go-to passage when everyone's talking about spiritual warfare. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the evil heavenly places. 
Over the last two years, if you've been a member of this church, you've heard me say stuff like this. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. The reason why this is important is because we see flesh and blood and we see evil working in flesh and blood and we get offended at evil politicians, evil leaders, people who, and we think that those are what we're against. And Paul makes a distinction. The list that I'm about to give you is not flesh and blood. These are not political, earthly realities. When I'm talking about rulers and authorities, I'm not talking about who you voted for. I'm not talking about Caesar or the Roman generals and centurions. I'm not, these are not flesh and blood. I'm getting ready to give you a list which the Jews understood because of the divine council. They understood there is, in some senses, a pantheon of other evil beings, spiritual beings that operate in the world behind the scenes that Paul is addressing here. This is why all of the, the statements after that put on the full armor of God, they're not like practical things in the sense of like, it's helmet of salvation, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. There's all these realities. It's not like check on these references, do this, check their resume and that, don't believe if he... He's making a distinction that these are not flesh and blood. This isn't who the real issue is. And that's why I've always pushed back and said, why are you so offended at what this man is saying? He's not the real problem. He needs Jesus more than he needs you to call out what he's saying and doing. So I'm not saying don't do that, but do this. The one thing that they had over us, the Jews of this day, they had a couple things. They had the Old Testament. Then they had what we would call uh, intertestamental writings, right? So they had a whole, what we call the Apocrypha and the Pseudopigrapha. They didn't see these things as like not true. They saw these as a part of understanding their worldview. We don't use these at all. We don't read these at all, but the Jews did. They use and reference in the New Testament dozens of times books that you and I don't even know exist. You're going to learn about them in the series, but they reference them. So they have an understanding of these things, and they don't have to, the scientific world to combat it. They're not living in the after the age of enlightenment with reason. And I think, therefore I am. It's not, I believe. Therefore, it's true. So there is a hierarchy here that is both cosmological and geographical. Certain beings have jurisdiction over certain areas. Now, what I'm about to say is largely due to the study of some credible theologians. The Bible does not break these categories down this way. So I am not giving this the level of biblical authority, but I do think the men who, who put this together have done a lifetime's work in studying these and coming to understanding, reading a lot of other ancient Near East material, Mesopotamian, Canaanite, all types of things to understand how do these categories work? What did they believe these categories meant? So rulers, when Paul says the rulers, but against the rulers, these are people who kind of sit on thrones, which Mike pointed out a couple of weeks ago, the plural form in the Hebrew, Elohim, gods. These would represent 
other gods that are not the most high God, but are in fact gods on one level. They have thrones and they have, they rule nations. They rule over Gentile nations. When Mike took you to Psalm 82, which we're definitely going to come back to in the series, God is judging them for the way that they're interacting with those, those nations, the way they've allowed those nations to go morally astray. When God says to them, you are gods, but you're going to die like men because of the way you've ruled these people. So when Paul mentions rulers, when he says that we don't, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the super, super powerful evil beings, these gods that are over other nations. He says, we're wrestling against them. When he says authorities and dominions, these are evil spirits that rule smaller countries, maybe provinces or states. Some, some think that a dominion is about 10 million people. You know what's interesting about this? If you've traveled, or if you've been other places, you know the stuff that we call third world countries? We think of that in terms of economics, but sometimes it's third world because of its spiritual dominion. When that huge earthquake happened in Haiti some years ago, people went all over the place with it. But Haiti is a third world country, but it's not just because they won't import American democracy. It's because they practice a lot of evil, dark, voodoo, so much stuff that some people, I think, to some degree, rightly said that was God. God was doing that to punish that, but also to send people over there that would bring the gospel in the hope of helping and helping restore water and homes and electricity. You had people who loved the Lord coming there to preach the gospel. I know many missionaries that were like, we're going to Haiti. They would have never gone to Haiti had that earthquake not happened. So while it was a somewhat of, I think, a judgment against the evil in that place, it was also grace to send people to bring the gospel there. And now I know people who have planted churches and stuff like that that were not there before that earthquake. These authorities and dominions, these are high up. Then you got principalities or evil spirits ruling large cities or small countries. A principality probably has about one million people over its jurisdiction. They believe that they infiltrate municipal governments and influence legislation. This is what Daniel was mentioning in the Prince of Persia. That's a principality. Authority over this particular area. You have cosmic powers. These are evil spirits that rule towns and suburbs. They think maybe jurisdiction over 100,000 people. You probably don't remember this, but sometime during the pandemic, we were talking about this, and I mentioned a guy named John Ramirez. He was a, a former Satanist who became a believer, now has a thriving ministry. And he was talking about that he had powers to... Um, to leave his body and astral project to other parts. And he was talking about this, d these demons that have jurisdiction from New York down to Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. He was talking about this stuff. Like there, and he was breaking this down in the reality. I think he's credible. 
I've watched enough of him and heard him talk. I think he's credible. I don't think he's making stuff up. There are geographical look. Why do you think things look different in America than like Southeast India? Because the demonic, the who, whatever has authority over America has to deal with more Christians and so forth. So our gods are more like prosperity, comfort. You don't see people worshiping cows and different things like in other places. When I was in India, they worshipped everything. We would go into these mountains, the Pottaroo Mountains, and every little village had a different god that they worshipped. When we went into that village and saw all that demonic influence, and we healed that girl, there was a nine-foot, no, I'm sorry, a 20-foot statue right to my left. Big joint, intimidating. Now, I personally have watched too many movies. I kept imagining that joint standing up and like, what would I do? <laughs> and I only had two things that comforted me in those moments. One, I'm with the Lord. And two, I'm from D.C. I dare that thing to come in my life. <laughs> and that was sometimes I'm from D.C. carried me a little further. <sighs> Paul mentions rulers of the darkness of this world. He calls it this present darkness. These are evil beings that have... Smaller areas of control. They might control businesses, school boards, church councils. Just wanting to influence. Now, how that influence works is somewhat mysterious, but as we go through the storyline of the Bible, some things are going to become much more clear. And then he just mentions in closing, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In the Old Testament, high places or heavenly places was, was often where worship was carried out. So these are evil spirits targeting average people with the aim of getting them to worship or be tormented, sometimes possessing these folks. So Paul is listing here both cosmological evil spiritual hierarchy and explaining geographical jurisdiction. Now, he didn't say who's where and what and so forth. But he wants them to know, and us by, by proxy, that this is real. That there isn't just a, a bunch of stuff just happening. It's very, very organized. I remember the, the thing that was one of the most convicting things that John Ramirez said to me. He said, man, the, the evil, he said, the dark forces, they're organized, man. He said, man, we would, he said, you couldn't get Christians to go to an hour church service. He said, but we would be up all night casting spells on people, doing a bunch of stuff. He said there was this one church, he said, where the, the, uh, whatever the demon, the, the, the demon was, told him to go, him and two other people. And he said that he was casting spells on them. And they couldn't ultimately hurt him. But he said, but we were able to stop what they were doing. And he said it wasn't that the spirit, they didn't believe in God. He said the vessel was weak. He said the vessel was weak. These people don't pray, they don't fast, they don't really take this stuff seriously. Mm -hmm. So he said the vessel was weak, so we were able to have, have influence. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying anything to manipulate anyone. I'm just saying this is what I think he's accurate. And based on my study, oh, I think he's definitely accurate. Yeah. So there are, to understand, as we get to the supernatural storyline, we have to understand there's geographical significance. It will become much more significant as we get to the story. The land is important, and who controls this land is important. 
today, there's a reason why there's a fight over the Islamic and Jewish. Whose land is this? Who does Palestine belong to? Who gets to put the temple where it is? That stuff is not just a couple of people who just want land. There's, there's a serious supernatural significance going on. There. This is important for us. It will be important as we go forward. So having said all of that, all of this, much of this comes from a book that we call the Bible, the Word of God. But if all this is the Bible and all this is happening, then is the Bible something else than just what we think it is? Three years ago, I did a sermon series called A Moment of Clarity. And one of my sermons was on what is the Bible? And I defended what the Bible is from the natural storyline perspective. The word of God, Jesus quoted the Old Testament, the New Testament writers believed they were writing scripture. But by the grace of God, I understand the Bible to be something else. There is a supernatural reason why we have the Bible. And that will be what we talk about next Sunday. We are dealing with cosmological and geographical realities and how God's sovereignty works. And we need to test the spirits, test prophecies, and all of it. Because we're living in a culture where evil spirits, we're not afraid to sit in front of Jesus and stand up and say, you are, you are the son of God. Hollywood has affected the way we think about these things more than we give it credit for. And so hopefully this process will take off some of that effect and we deal with the reality that will help us better know what are we fighting to fight that good fight of faith. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. And even though today was not a typical message, Lord, I thank you for the information. You know that we know this. We don't have the luxury of knowing and believing what the authors, the, the men that you had write the Bible. We didn't know what the Jews thought then. We don't have that luxury. So we have to have these kinds of conversations where we just walk through the information because we don't have the, we're just not, we don't have that worldview. But Lord, I pray that you would help us grow in that worldview and that we would grow first in what your Bible, what your word is, is showing us. Lord, we often evaluate things based on church tradition, we just trust what one other person said that we respect or, or even our own experience. But Lord, there's much more. There's much more of what you want us to see. There's a fuller understanding of these things that doesn't dramatically change who we are and what we do. It's not like after this, we're going to all of a sudden have, have invisible swords and fighting deep. No, but we're going to understand what's happening and what is the significance. So Lord, my hope, as you know, and my prayer, along with Mike and others, is that our growth and our faith is, is more in you and your word. This has nothing to do with me or whoever teaches this stuff. I am insignificant. Anyone can say what I'm saying. This isn't about me or anyone. This is about you and your word and growing deeper and understanding it so that our confidence in you, our love for you, grows deeper. And as you said in 1 John 4, perfect love casts out all fear. Some of us are afraid. 
we're afraid of things that relate to you. Some of us may be afraid of messages like this or even this series. We're afraid because we've been hustled by the enemy to be afraid. We're afraid of some of these things. So we just we, we want to we want to we're comfortable with what we're comfortable with and we don't want to rock that boat. But Lord, I pray that you would flip that boat. If it means that we will have a deeper, fuller understanding of what your word says, what's happening in the world that we live in, how it affects us and how we continue to persevere to the end. So we thank you, Lord, for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. While we're waiting for questions, can someone grab me a communion? Thank you, bro. This is the part with water. I love this part. Where everybody's doing it, I can just drink real quick. Say it again. You just tell my. Oh, yeah, yeah, just go ahead, go ahead. Eli doesn't have his phone, but he wants to ask a question. So I just told him to go ahead and let you. Um, the first question we're going to ask of many is why did Legion need Jesus' permission to enter the pigs? And why didn't why did they want to enter pigs if the pigs would drown anyway? What's the difference between that and Jesus making them leave the uh, country? Both okay. of those options seem to make them powerless. Yeah, okay. So uh, the first question, why did they ask Jesus for permission? Like, why did they? Well, let me just start. The Bible doesn't say why, right? So let's just start there. I'm not, the Bible doesn't say, and here's why they wanted to. But here's what I think. One, you're talking to, they, they, they know who Jesus is, son of the most high God, right? They understand that he has authority and authority to destroy them in that moment. So they want to continue in the level of torment. I think they asked not to leave the country because they have geographical jurisdiction in certain locations. And if they leave that area, they no longer may be able to do what they're able to do where they are. You have to remember, like, so you had the Jewish, it's kind of hard to understand. So the Sea of Galilee on, the, on different sides I, I, I try to make maps. I can see the map, but y'all can't. It just looks like I'm doing finger puppets. All right, so <laughs> essentially where they went was a highly Gentile area, which at that time didn't have the presence of God there, right? So they wanted to stay in an area where they were havoc and comfortable. Remember what Jesus said? They go out and they search in wobbleless places looking for... So they're trying to... They need... So they're spirits, right? I didn't say this in the message, but if you notice in the Bible, when angels show up, they never show up as disembodied spirits. Angels always show up appearing as humans. They're not spirits when they appear on earth, but these, they're spirits. 
So they need to be someplace. So their fear of leaving the country, I think, would be one, to leave their familiarity, two, to leave their authority in that geographical location. Why they asked to go in the pigs, now I don't know that they, if the pigs, if they knew they were going to drown the pigs. I think they were so afraid in front of Jesus that they just looked for anything because they knew that Jesus is saying, come out of him. So it's not like they can be like, I'm saying, can we go in somebody else? Like that wasn't what was going to happen. They knew Jesus wasn't going to be like, come out of him, but you can go ahead and mess with him. That's not what's going to happen. So they knew they weren't going back inside of a person. So they asked, I, I think pigs were the closest probably animal they were afraid of talking to Jesus that he might change his mind and be like, y'all are gone. So they said, can we go over there? And he said, go ahead. But the fear and the adrenaline and all of that, them pigs, they're not used to having deep, they just took off. Now, what a sight to watch 2,000 pigs run into the, that farmer, I doubt he got saved that day. It was like, man, this dude made all the pick, man. This on Bozo Believer? So, I, you know, I personally, I would have grabbed two. I mean, that's a lot of bacon, fam. I would have grabbed two. So I, I, think, I think it was more, they weren't going to be allowed to go anywhere else. What were the options? So they were like, can you send this into the pigs? They need to be in something. They can't just float around. They got to be in some place to what they have, a home. So they chose the pigs as a home, and then they just drowned. And I don't, that part I don't get. Like, why would you do that? But like I said, poor Wilbur and him. Oh, Charlotte's Web. So the next question. Charlotte's Demons. Next question is related to uh, the geographic uh, influence or authority they have. Um, do you believe the evil spirits with authority in the U.S. originated with ancient peoples or migrate as humans do? That's a great question. So I believe that all the, that they didn't die at all. They've just been around for however many years people have been around. I do think that they, I think it's, I think of it more like the military. Some people are assigned over here. Like, look, these people don't believe. There's a difference between like who believes in Jesus and who doesn't and what the, like the enemy is not just picking stuff. He's finding out where is God at work, and then he's going to send his most influential people there. If he's at a country where they've never heard of Jesus, he doesn't need to send his most powerful dark forces there. Why? These people ain't heard of Jesus. There's not even anybody over there right now doing that. Where, are, where is God at work at? And that's where we need to go. And then you need to go where the people will be more likely deceived. So you can't come over to America and be building 10-foot statues of, that ain't going to work here. That's not how it works. You can go to these other nations and do that there, but you can't come to America. So how do we get, so I do think that they're, I think it's chess. I think they're moved around and given geographical authority. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's just like <clears throat> a bunch of questions. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even officially started the series yet. We don't start the series until two weeks from now. Three weeks, I think. We got one more sermon, and then Mike's going to do a review, and then on the 30th, we jump in with Genesis 1. 
So you're just sifting through what question? Yeah, which ones make sense? Uh, which one? Nah, hey, some not, of, not, not some which ones make sense. Listen, you know how sometimes you don't feel like reading over your text, man? Read over. No, which ones make sense in, in the vein that you're answering now? But instead yeah. of doing that, that's probably going to be a little yeah, bit too organized with for the amounts. Okay, in Acts 16, um, how did Paul know that the uh, spirit of the girl was unclean? And this question uh, has been asked by a number of people, um, including Eli. How should we test unclean spirits? How do we test spirits? Good question. I'm going to answer that one. And, uh, uh, I'm just playing. <laughs> All right. So how did Paul know that was an unclean spirit? Okay. I think there are two, re two ways Paul knew. One, Paul was filled with the spirit and knew that. So I think that's a given. The second, Paul knew what the girl was. It wasn't like Paul didn't know that she was making money for these guys and divination and fortune telling. So he knew what was how, he knew who she was. That she was the one that would say things and was making money for them, right? So that was a no-brainer. What Paul, I, what the question that I would want to know is, I wonder what happened after many days. He's got tired of hearing her say that. I don't know if she was stopping them from. Or, they, or he just knew, like, I'm tired of a demon saying this. But I, but I did. I think, it, I think it traces back to what I said. If he doesn't do that and it affirms what Paul and them are doing, then when Paul and them leave, this demon goes back to they will deceive, right? So they will sound like, hey, we with, we with them. 2 Corinthians 11, it says that the devil appears as an angel of light. So it's only right that his servants also appear as angels of light. So they, they, don't have a, they don't have a problem with proclaiming the truth. And they'll do that even if they can later manipulate you from believing it. Steer you in the right direction. So that girl could have had justification for her. The demon could have thought like, hey, look, I'm going to keep saying this. And then when they believe and when they do what I'm, because that's what they're here for. And then when they leave, everybody's going to believe I was with them. And they were like, nah, come out of here. So in that sense, that's what I think about Paul. In terms of us, how do we process that type of stuff? How do you test prophecies and test the spirits? So testing prophecies is when someone says, this is from the Lord, right? This is from the Lord. There are a couple ways you can do that. But let me give you one verse to help you process it. James 3.17, right? So let's look at that real quick. I know it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn there. James 3.17 says this. This is like a go-to, and then there's certain questions that I ask that I think are derived from the Bible. But here's what James 3.17 says. I actually can't find my, oh, no, I do have that. Never mind, hold on. I was like, where's my ESV at? Here we go. I was going back to the CSB. All right, James 3.17 says this. It says, but the wisdom from above, so wisdom from above, which prophecies would be from above, right? The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason. Some translations might, may say submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So if you, when I hear someone say, I got to, I think about this, okay. 
is this pure in the sense of what God thinks is pure? Does, does, this, does this have the purity that's attached to Scripture, to what God wants? Does it have that? Is it peaceable? If I have a word that causes, like, division, that's not peaceable. Is it peaceable? I think when it's from the Lord, the person who's receiving it, there should be some peace connected to that. It's peaceable. It's gentle, right? Now, gentle can be how you say it, but I think gentle is also, which is connected to open to reason. When it's from the Lord, we, we have to be honest, right? We're just human beings. We're just human beings. We cannot categorically prove what I'm saying is from the Lord unless it's really a word of knowledge. If it's something that you, like the word of knowledge is the one thing that I will all, if you come up to me and you tell me something that I know you don't know, there's no way you would know that. And you're delivering it in a way that I think is consistent with this, I will receive that all day. It's open to reason, right? But when it's from the Lord, it's not thus says the Lord, it's open to reason. So if it's a prophecy, it has to be open to reason. People have to be able to test it, right? So if I am thinking, you got to believe this, and if you don't, then that's not from the Lord. That's not wisdom from above. Wisdom from above is open to reason. So it's like, all right, yeah, I, I want to respect the fact that people, it's full of mercy. If I'm sharing something with you that's from the Lord, I'm not sharing it with you to draw attention to that I can see, I can hear from the Lord. I'm drawing it, I want, to, I want you to be blessed by this. I want you to, so there's mercy involved in it. And then there's good fruit, right? Now, some of these things take time to test. These aren't all things you can be like, all right, here's the five-second test. And it's like some of it bears fruit, but when it doesn't, I think I have to think like, ah, maybe this was lowercase s and not capital S. And I think many of us do a more lowercase s than we give it credit for. Um, impartial and sincere. Impartial is not favoritism. I'm skeptical of things that favor people. Okay. That sounds a little too favored to me. Another question I'll ask myself is, is this specific or is this general enough that anyone, a Jehovah's Witness could say this to me? When it's from the Lord, it should be like, wow, because Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So when someone says something so general, I don't care how passionate you are. I'm not going for that. You, it may or may not be from the Lord, and that's fine, but I don't have to receive it as if it is. It's too general. Anybody could have said that. Well, if you tell me something that you heard me say something in the, in, on a Sunday, and then you come up to me and tell me I feel like I have a, man, you heard me say that. I mean, anybody can deduce that, right? That's not, to me, when it's from the, my sheep know my voice. When it's from the Lord, it should have these categories. It should be submitted to the fruits of the Spirit. So I use James 3. So stuff like, does this, uh, questions I ask myself, does this contradict or confirm what the Bible says about a person, about me? So there's, there's ways to do that. But I, I would start with James 3.17 and see like, is this the, and then like open a reason, full of mercy. Those things are real. This is what God's word saying. This isn't even me saying it. You can, you can process what you think those verses mean yourself, but wisdom from heaven is above, is first pure. So it's really from the Lord. And when you're trying to do something for the Lord, so I, this is my personal opinion. I do get, Michael tell you this, I do get impressions and things like that. And I'll tell Mike, hey, I think 
This is what I'm thinking, bro. And then we have this joke, like if I say it's Spidey Sense. Because if, when it's Spidey Sense, for whatever reason, the Lord just has me be accurate a lot. Whenever I feel it strongly, and I'll be like, this is Spidey Sense. And then we're like, all right, we'll just see, but we still test it. But I always say this might be from the Lord. Because ultimately, I don't really know. And my goal isn't to prove that I'm hearing from the Lord, but this might be something for you to consider, right? So there's the gentleness, the mercy, it's open to reason. I might just be like, look, this might not be from the Lord, but let me just share this, right? I'm skeptical of anyone who speaks with too much authority about what the Lord is saying that's not from the word, unless it's the word of knowledge. But even then, don't speak with all that authority. Like, man, who are you yelling at? Man, okay, you, <laughs> you know, you will be like that. So those are ways that I, and we'll talk more about that, but those are ways that I think, I think a lot of people mean well. I think a lot mean well. I think a lot of people mean well, but I think they, it's capital S. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I think it's lowercase s. I don't think it's capital S. And so a lot of times it's like, all right, I hear you. And then some stuff, just wait to see if it comes true. Sometimes you're just wrong. But then sometimes you're not. I remember meeting with a couple, and I told them, I told Mike, you know what, I think they're going to leave by November or something like that. I told them this in July. They met with me in early November to say that they were thinking about leaving. And I said, okay, well, I said, I, I, I figured you, I told Mike a couple months ago that you guys were going to be leaving, and they looked at each other. And I said, why did you look at each other? And they said, because we didn't know we were leaving in, 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 in July. So I was like, oh, okay. Lord, I wish you would give me some numbers or something, like the pick four or the pick six or something. <laughs> I wish I would get that. Can you give me, like, just, you know, the lotto or something one time, you know? So the Lord does that. But it's not about the person, right? It's about what the Lord wants that person to hear. And then they process that, right? We have to give people room. So even me, I'll say stuff like, look, I can't prove this from the Bible, right? I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be like, oh, he's still, I want to make sure you know, hey, I could be wrong, but here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm sensing. Here's what I'm saying. And I think I get that from just the way that the Bible does it. Old Testament prophets are way different than what we see today. They directly, they didn't have the Bible then. So they were, they were the word of God in many ways. But now we have a Bible, we have things, it's like, okay, does it? So I'm, I don't despise prophecy. I don't despise it. I just test it. I just don't believe a lot of it, to be honest, because I think some of it falls short. I think people mean well, I think it falls short. So uh, obviously the, uh, the woman in Acts uh, 16, the girl in Acts 16, uh, was able to kind of mimic spiritual gifts. Are mm -hmm. there, the person wants to know, are there other spiritual gifts that evil spirits can mimic? So here's the thing, right? That's an interesting question. The answer may not be so much. But here's the reality, right? So you have, you have what I said about 2 Corinthians 11. Satan appears as an angel of light, right? You have in Revelation, the beast and the false prophet are able to do miracles that look like, that people are like believing it, right? It said even the elect would be deceived if the Lord hadn't been like, nah, that ain't, that ain't the Lord, right? So there's a degree in which the, the enemy the Satan, the Satan, uses a lot of different techniques. And he's allowed to exert and do things in this world. I mean, think about when he tempted Jesus. It said he was able to show him 
all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. So somehow to try to tempt Jesus to, to worship him, he was able to show him godlike knowledge to show him all the kingdoms of the world. The very thing that Jesus was coming to die and claim back for the father, he said, you can have all these. Now, Jesus was shocked because if he had authority, he said, these have been given to me and I can give them to whoever I want. Then again, well, whoever gave them to you is who I should worship. Somebody gave, it's like, it's like man, you let me borrow something that somebody gave you. It's like, well, I would rather talk to him. You the middleman, right? So, so I think there is a degree in which, in which believers, Satan can do things that appear like, wow, this is of the Lord. I think many of us have seen things and thought this is from the, again, Acts 16, we would have thought that girl's on fire for the Lord. Right? So some of that stuff we're just not going to know, to be honest. Let's just be clear. The Holy Spirit isn't like walking, we're not, we don't got like demon detectors, right? It's not like, you know, we're just walking around, hey, there's one. Oh, really? Oh, that don't listen to him. Man. <laughs> That's what he was at last night. Don't let, it doesn't work like that. Sometimes we're just deceived. We don't know. We don't always know. So we have, we think about, okay, how does this, is this really true? Another question you need to ask is, do I need to believe this for my life to glorify God? Some stuff, I don't need to believe that. Kurt, I feel like the Lord is saying that you're going to be, okay. I don't need to believe that. That doesn't affect anything that I do. If it, does, if it affects something I do, I'm going to sit down, think about it, pray about it. One, I might even ask other people who I feel like I trust. But some stuff is like, this, doesn't, this has no claim on my life. When it's from the Lord, it should have a claim on somebody's life. Like this could be true or not true and won't change nothing. So again, the enemy does do that. So I think we have to always be thinking, asking, you know, what, what spirit is this coming in? You know, all that stuff. And then, you know, what's the fruit of this? You know, does, it, does a person have, you know, track record is big to me. There are some people who I think, like there's a, when I say spidey sense, there's a reason why Mike and other people will be like, man, that, man, shoot, that's probably, because I have a track record. But not everybody has a track record. Like, you, some, you know, sometimes it takes time to grow in this, right? You need to grow, figure this out. Like, it's not that, this stuff isn't as easy as just like, Ugh. this stuff is difficult because we got to figure out what's going on here. So I think the enemy, yeah, it's, it's hard to discern. I think first we have to start with stuff like, is this explicitly biblical or not? Is it? But then sometimes we're just going to be deceived. We're just going to be wrong. We're going to think it was from the Lord, but it wasn't. I've said stuff that I think thought was from the Lord, and then it just, okay. I don't think it probably wasn't. There are times, like, even when we did the business series, I hit Mike and was like, hey, I can't, I'm not sure if the Lord, if we should do this for the church or not. But this is what the Lord, this is what, sometimes stuff is just for us and we share it with other people like it's for them. The Lord might be telling you that. I recently had somebody tell me, you know, a particular word that me and a friend of that person, when we talked about it, was like, shit, we think that was about them. That wasn't about me because the fruit in your life is proving that vision more than it being for me. So again, it's, there's a lot of stuff to this, right? There's a lot of stuff, but. So I think, long answer. I forgot even what the question was now. I'm so in the, I'm in the zone right now. Because there's stuff I know that we're going to talk about, and I'm trying to push that away. I don't want to give it away in this Q&A, then it's like, oh, we heard that. It'll make more sense in the storyline. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to apologize for anyone whose question is not answered. If you are here, you can go 
up to the um, stage and see Pastor Kurt. Y'all be here for like five or ten more minutes after church. Um, <laughs> so uh, don't run over anybody, but get there quick. But here's the uh, here's the last question uh, I'll ask, um, and it is uh, in light of even what you were just uh, talking about, and in light of um, all uh, you know the powers you were talking about earlier. What role um, does or should intercessory prayer play? in all of this intercessory prayer mm-hmm. so i i'm assuming so let me give a definition for intercessory prayer so that i can at least say this is what i'm talking about because people have, you know nowadays people got diff- you don't even know what pronouns mean today right so we change words so much so intercessory prayer is essentially just significantly praying on behalf of someone else right like i think that is i think that's significant let me tell you three things that I think are significant in these things. Intercessory prayer, right? And then what Jesus said about why they couldn't, prayer and fasting. I think fasting is a lost art that has a lot of power that Jesus said it can't even cast out. You can you guys who are apostles, these are apostles filled with the spirit who in Mark 6 were like, man, look, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus said, don't celebrate because of that. Celebrate because your name's in the book of life. These apostles who were with Jesus couldn't cast out this demon. And he said something that's very practical, prayer and fasting. Only that can do this. He said, this can only come out by prayer and fasting. I think intercessory prayer is 100%. I think the Bible assumes that we're praying for one another. It assumes that, right? So I I think intercessory prayer is huge. You know, so I just think, I think we make mountains out of biblical molehills, right? So I think we make mountains, out, ministries out of things that we should just be doing because we believe in Jesus. Like, I just think we make ministries out of stuff that's like, ah. Do we have a ministry night? I mean, okay. It's like, man, we should be praying for each other all the time. Just as, just as, a, just as a general principle. So a lot more I could say, but I just, I just think some of that stuff and I think people mean, I think some of that stuff is just overblown. It's overrealized. And again, if I'm wrong, I, you know, please, I'd love to see it from scripture. And if it's not in scripture, some stuff you're not going to find in scripture, right? You're not going to find it. It's just like, we're just practically trying to apply this crazy world that we live in that has evil supernatural forces and the forces of good. And we're all trying to figure out where we are and, and how to navigate. And guys, some stuff we're just not, we're going we're gonna to miss and it's okay. Ultimately, though, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. And there's some stuff that's just like, okay. I remember one time, this last thing I'll say. Someone gave me a word. I was holding my son. He was a baby. And he laid, he, I was walking past. And this dude was like, remember uh, the Welches, right? You know what I'm talking about? From Philly? He was like, he had a track record of being prophetic. And he was a friend of mine, I loved him, Dan, Dan Welch. And so there were a group of people that came down to prophesy for our uh, class in theology. And I was hoping that I got in his group because me and him had, but I kinda trusted him. But I got with another group of people (laughs) and the guy's prophecy for me was, I see. Now mind you, let me just say this before I say that. So there was 22 guys in my class. I'm the only black dude that's really comes from the street, all right? 
And then you got some other, there's four of us in there. Out of, one dude from the Bahamas. It's just like a whole, right? My man, cool. Actually, it was three of us. Me, Cedric, cool. Okay, it was three of us. So the dude says to me in the prophecy, I see urban ministry in your future. <laughs> me, urban ministry. The one street dude in the class. Really, fam? <laughs> I see rap music and records, right? I see urban, <laughs> really, fam? Oh, man, thank I was like, man, this is the first racist prophecy I've ever heard in my life. If there was a category of racist prophecy, this was that. What you mean urban ministry for me? If he would have said, I see you in the Midwest, in the predominant, I'd have been like, I don't know if I received that from the Lord, but I, you know, whatever the Lord's going to do, he said urban ministry. My friend looked at me and was like, I saw that too, like when you first. <laughs> I ain't even got to test that prophecy. <laughs> Fam, I see urban ministry in my future too. What in the world are you talking about, right? So that whole, so that happened. So I was holding my son and I was walking out and I saw Dan was like, hey, Dan, good to see you. He was like, hey, Kurt, man, we, you know, that a little bit. And then I said, hey, they were on his way. I was on my way. So I said, all right, man, we're good to catch up with you, brother. He said, man, good to see you, right? So I walk and then he stopped and he says, Kurt. And he backs back up. And he lays his hand on my son, and he says, I sense that this one is going to be like David calling his people back to repentance. He was a baby. So I said, okay, Dan has a track record. I trust him. But that remains to be seen. But when I see things, I'm like, I all... When it said Mary treasured those things in her heart, there are things that I hear and I treasure in my heart, and we'll see. And if they come to fruition, praise God. If they don't, no harm, no foul. But I hold on to those things. I treasure them. Because some things I want to be true. But I'm not going to presume that what I want to be true is from the Lord because if, so again, it's just the world we live in. It's the world we live in. We process, we live, we fight, we figure out, and some stuff, I think a lot of stuff is, nah. But I don't think that stuff is necessarily demonic either, though. Mm. I mean, let's be clear. When the demons were talking, they were only proclaiming the truth. It wasn't like they said a bunch of good stuff. It was just like, these men are here. It's Captain Obvious, right? I see you will be an urban ministry. It's like, okay. Now I'm starting to wonder, was the same spirit that was in that girl, was in this... It's Captain Obvious. Nah, he was a good dude. He was a good dude. I just think, nah, fam. That's, that's from the Lord. That's like one of them things that's like obvious. So, All right, I'll be here. We can talk. And there's obviously, we're going to be in the series for a while. So let's, let's, let's get to this reality. Let's, despite what we know, here's something that we do know to be true. That Jesus was a real human being who came directly from God as one of the Godhead, the Son of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, became a human being and lived perfectly in his obedience so that he could take our punishment 
and then give us his righteousness. Give us forgiveness, reconciliation, right? Restoration. That was real. He really was beaten, hung on a cross, blood left his body so that you and I could be a part of the realities that we have today, even the things that we take for granted today. That's true if everything else I said wasn't. So today we, and I'm not saying what I said wasn't. I believe everything I said to be true, but only the Lord really, really knows. But what is true is that his body was broken so that you and I could have a relationship. Remember last week, he calls us brothers. He doesn't call angels brothers. Doesn't call evil spiritual beings my family. He no longer calls them sons and daughters, but he calls us that. So this, this wafer represents his body that was hung on the cross and broken for us, so we eat this together. And this cup, this juice, represents the, body, the blood that was shed for our sins for not just the forgiveness, but the relationship that we have ongoing from now until eternity. We drink this together. Lord, we do the best that we can when we read your word to try to understand it, explain it, and believe it. And there are some things that are more difficult than others. The nuances there are not always as clear. But one thing that is clear is your sacrifice. Your, your life, death, resurrection, and ascension is clear. That is not in dispute for many of us. So I pray that as we process all of the supernatural stuff, Lord, help us to stay focused and not go in too many, down, too many rabbit trails. But we are headed in a direction that I believe is from you that will help us better understand what we're fighting against and going through. So, Lord, even me, keep me from just so many rabbit trails, Lord, I can go down. And I thank you that you give me some measure of discipline that I push away certain statements or thoughts because they're rabbit trails. I want to stay on the path that you have for us. And so help me and help us to do that. We thank you for your mercy and your grace, Lord. May what we believe to be true play itself out beyond Sunday morning but it would spill over into Monday. Lord, as we are beginning our core groups for the first time this week, the temptation for many will be to not join one, to not participate, to be at home, to be ambivalent, to have all kinds of reasons and excuses as not to. And Lord, I can't control that, but Lord, I pray that you would, you would do a work in people's heart. That is not from you. If, if the wisdom from heaven for you is open to reason, it's pure, it's gentle, it's, then so is our participation. Lord, I pray for our participation this week and in this, in this new season. For there are many looming friendships, many inevitable sacrifices, many things yet to come that will not happen if we just take for granted the means of grace in which you provided us. So, Father, I pray, and I'm praying this intensely in front of everyone, because our temptation is to alike agree, participate on Sunday, 
and find every reason not to participate on Monday through Saturday. Lord, may that not be true of us. There is spiritual warfare even in our decision to go and not do things. Our gods may not be statues, but our gods are our emotions at times, our thinking, our reason. Help us by your grace, with your mercy. Help us to grow and to be grown and take ownership of our maturity and not just think that Sunday will accomplish it. For your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Don't forget to be signing up in the app. There are The core groups are, are there. You can sign up for a group. If you're wanting to get your pictures done, there's a couple of dates to sign up for pictures. Please be willing to do that. Having said that, good to see you all. Next week, we'll be talking about what the Bible is from a supernatural perspective. And Lord willing, we'll eat some fish sandwiches together. <laughs>